You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. I'm Marty Birch, discipleship pastor here. I want to share with you just a couple of things before we read this morning's scripture. One is that our offering this morning is going to be received either online, which you can do at our website, mymillcreek.com backslash give, or there's also an offering box at the welcome table. If you haven't already given this morning, you can do so after the service. Second thing is that we would like as a church to remember a missionary couple of ours in prayer. Dylan and Leslie Sullivan... Uh, have been in campus ministry at several of the community colleges here in the Kansas City area for quite a while. We've supported them and love having them as part of the body here. They have a unique opportunity. In fact, they are in France now for some summer ministry, and we want to have some time during the summer to be praying for them. We hope that you will, as a church, be praying for the unique opportunities they're going to have Uh, This summer, can't wait to hear back from them how that went. We will pray for them this morning as well. Our text this morning is from Genesis 26, 12 through 35. Uh, It is printed on uh, the sheets that you have, so you can turn there. And would you please stand with me as we pay attention to the public reading of the scripture. Genesis 26. 12 through 35. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his Father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you're much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in that land. From there he went to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Azusa, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. 
that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have not done to you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We found water. And he called it Shilba, or Sheba. Therefore, the name of that city is Beersheba to this day. And when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimuth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Let's pray together. Merciful, great, mighty God, we thank you for this beautiful day which you have made for us. We thank you for this opportunity as one body to worship you together this morning. What a gift you have given, and with grateful hearts we receive it. Lord, as a body, we want to pray for the Sullivan family right now. We ask that you will open great doors of opportunity for them as they minister in France this summer. We pray that you'll protect them, keep them safe, give them unique opportunities with the gospel that will enhance their ministry here as well when they return. Lord, we pray now as we hear your word preached, would you make our hearts attentive? Spirit, would you move Jesus, would your gospel be clear? Lead us to change. Lead us to grow. Lead us to be passionate disciples of yours, as Jeremy brings the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marty. Kids, if you've got a bingo card, now's the time to get it out. See if you've got a pen. Let's play bingo while I uh, preach. If you've already crossed out all the words, refresh the board. See if you can get them during this sermon. And at the end of our service, when it's time for pancakes, which are coming next, go show this to Miss Brittany. She will give you a little prize. For the rest of us, I've, I've heard it said that some like to think of life as a train, not a roller coaster. Here's what I mean. I've, I've heard some say that when they approach life, especially if you're type A, you know, control freak, like me, that you like to think of life as a way to move from point A over to point B. And, and, and here's how it works. You're going to go... Think to yourself, where do I want to go? Then you get a ticket, you make all the plans, you get on the train, you show up at the right time, you take your little train ride. It's all very orderly and, and, and simple and everything runs as expected and there are regulations for how this train ride is supposed to go. And then in life, you arrive at some destination and bing, you get off the train and you go, I've arrived. Some like to think of life as a train ride. And even folks who are not type A people, even for type B people, I think 
you can appreciate that there's something about the stability of a destination and getting there. And so that's the way we like to think of our lives. But more often than not, more often than not, our lives are not a train ride. They actually resemble a roller coaster. Can I get an amen? amen. See, roller coasters are also a way to travel, but they're not going to get you from point A to point B. Good grief. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? You get on, and when you're done with the ride, they let you off at the same place. <laughs> you're not going anywhere except for a thrilling ride on that roller coaster. In fact, roller coasters are not worried about a destination. They're worried about the journey, and they are designed to give you this thrilling ride, leaving passengers gasping for air, shrieking with fear. Often, when it's finished, you just go, whew, let me off this thing. Please don't make me do it again. So I'm curious this morning, church, do you tend to think of life more like a train ride or a roller coaster? I'll let someone else decide which is the more biblical view, but I think we can agree that regardless of how we may wish life to be, it does often resemble a roller coasters and a roller coaster. And, and it's not one of those kiddie ones we can keep our lunch down with. Rather, it's one of those that seems to go up to the highest of highs and drop you at a 90 degree angle, 100 miles an hour, strapped to this rolling cart and lead you through all of these crazy turns, ups and downs. I mean, has anybody else here ever gone to bed at night going, what in the world happened today? Wow, I didn't expect that. Sometimes life goes slow. Sometimes life goes fast. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's so scary, you actually wonder, am I going to die? For anyone here this morning who's feeling like you're on a roller coaster, you're just barely making it, you're hanging on, you're gritting through life's loop-de-loops, we find incredible encouragement in Genesis 26, and here it is. God is with you. God is with you. Would you actually say that with me? One, two, three. God is with you. For all who are weary and needing comfort, for all who are mourning and, and longing for rest, for any who are here feeling worthless, helpless, wondering, God, do you see me? Do you know what I'm going through? You're exactly where you need to be and God is with you. Would you say it again? God is with you. One, two, three. God is with you. This is the sermon in a sentence. If you take one thing away, that's what I want to take you, have you take. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, or maybe just turn over that little handout, I want to show you through Genesis 26 how this text actually has this gift for us. So you don't have to just take my word for it. If you're new to Mill Creek, I'm going to preach what I think the text says. I'm going to show you my answers, and then you can decide on your own. Am I being faithful to the text or not? The way I want to begin then is asking a question, is God with us when... And this is going to cover the majority of the text. If you've got a little sermon handout, you might actually walk, watch how I'm going to divide this 
first section into three parts. I don't want you to get confused. If you don't have a sermon handout, I'll be sure to tell you when I'm going to point two, but point one is the longest. Let's begin with this question. Is God with us when the world hates us? If you're taking notes, I'm drawing that from verses 12 to 16. Is God with us when the world hates us? Now, hopefully you have found Genesis 26, and and hopefully you can remember that as we've been tracking through this since Genesis 12, Abraham has been God's chosen man. Abraham has been God's chosen man, and Isaac is in this chosen family tree, and we are watching this Abraham to Isaac transition. And beginning in this chapter, we see all this family resemblance. In fact, if Genesis 26 was a school picture, you would look at it and go, oh, look at Isaac. He looks just like his daddy. There's so much resemblance between Abraham and Isaac. In 26.1, there was a famine that happened to Abraham too. In Genesis 26, there's a blessing that happened to Abraham too. Kids and land and blessing. And just like his daddy, Isaac told his wife to pretend like he is, they are brother and sister. And just like his daddy, he got caught. Here's what I'm wanting you to see. There's all this parallelism between Isaac and Abraham. Isaac looks just like his dad. And if you didn't get to hear Nathan preach the first part of Genesis 26 last week, I strongly encourage you to go listen to that sermon. It was fantastic. That brings us then to verse 12, and we see more family resemblance. Notice in verse 12, this great material blessing Isaac is receiving. They're planting, they're harvesting. Agriculturally speaking, that's a hundredfold, which is amazing. Kids, can you say amazing? One, two, three. He had a hundredfold. If you're in wheat production, that's good. Isaac is blessed And he's very wealthy, so wealthy, verse 14, that the Philistine neighbors are jealous of him. Jealous enough that they fill in the wells that his daddy had had dug. And then King Abimelech drops a bomb on Isaac in verse 16. Look in the text. Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Here then is what we see in this scripture. There are moments when God's incredible blessing is seen to Isaac, verses 12 to 14, and that's the fun part of the roller coaster. But then you get to 15 and 16, and Isaac is getting envied and facing outright opposition, and I wouldn't be surprised if he says, God, why is this happening to me? I'm just trying to do my best here. And the Philistines hate Isaac. Get this. The Philistines hate him because of God's blessing. That's the root of the jealousy. And if we're in his shoes, it would be so normal for us to think, God's with me during the good parts of the roller coaster, but in the bad parts, where is God? Because isn't that the way we think about life? It's more like a train ride. We think, look at all the blessings God's poured out on me. But we sort of take credit for it like, well, I did make a plan for my life and I got on at point A and now I'm going to get off at point B and look how well I've done. But then when stuff doesn't go so well and it feels more like the loop-de-loop and we're about to lose our lunch, we think, God, where are you? God, are you even there? I'm just trying to be faithful to you. Why is the world hating me? Now, I grant some of you haven't experienced the open hostility Isaac receives 
But the further our culture moves away from God's word, the more you will be hated for believing this word. And if you don't believe me, then just try to put on Facebook this afternoon what the Bible teaches about abortion. Promise you're going to get some comments. If you don't believe that the culture is beginning to hate what God's word says, put on Facebook what the Bible teaches about heterosexual monogamy for life, and that's the only marriage there is in the Bible. I promise people will push back on you. This is going to lead to increased hatred if you hold on to God's word. In fact, Paul tells Timothy as much in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Say persecuted, one, two, three. Is God with us when the world hates us? I think that's what we see in this first section. Move with me to 1722. We're still in point one, but a second dimension of is God with us? Is God with us when the world steals from us? Now look in the text. We've already seen Abraham's old wells have been filled in. Isaac's been kicked out of his Philistine neighborhood. He settled in the valley of Gerar. And in verse 17, you should know the Israelites would know, in case you forget how important water is, it would have been crucial to Isaac and his big old crew. I know some of us can forget when we live in our cushy little lives. I mean, the way, the way you and I live is like how kings lived for 2,000 years with access to everything. You need some water, just turn on the tap, it's safe to drink. That wasn't the way it was back then. You need wells to survive. In the Valley of Gerar, if they are going to make it through the roller coaster of life, they have to have drinking water. So Isaac has all those old wells redug so they can have access to water. And he renames those wells the same name that Abraham gave them. And here's why that's important. Whoever names the wells owns the wells. So Isaac says, dig them back up. I know they hate me, but we got to have water and we're keeping the same names because those are the family wells. Well, they've got these water wells operational, but they need more. So verse 19, good news. They've hit water. And that's a great part of the roller coaster. Can we get a hoo-ah? Hoo yeah, it's like Russell Wilson day, right? We've got what? Remember when Russell Wilson got picked up by the Broncos? That was a good day, yeah? No? For some of us, that was a great day. Not so fast. Verse 20, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, means contention, because they contended with him. Now we suppose Isaac could have picked a fight with these guys, but he and his crew turned the other cheek. They just dig another. Verse 21, look at the text. Good news. Be like Russell Wilson winning his first football game, right? Know your audience, pastor. Okay. Good news, they hit another well. But they quarrel over that one too, so they named it Sitna, which means enmity. They dig a third well. Finally, they don't fight over the third well. They call it Rehoboth, which means broad places and room, leading Isaac to say in verse end of 22, for now. The Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. 
Once again, we see the highs and lows of this scene. It's like Isaac is going up to the top of the roller coaster and then he's going down these hairpin turns. And when you go up and down, up and down, you can feel crazy. And when you hit water, it would be normal for Isaac and the Israelites or you and I to go, yes, thank you, Lord, for your blessing. But then somebody comes and steals those wells from you. They say they're not yours. They cheat you out of something and you go, God, where are you on this roller coaster? They're stealing what is rightfully mine. And I think it shows us how easy it is to trust God in the good times, hard in the tough times. But maybe you're hearing like, man, nobody's ever stolen anything from me, pastor. Okay, but have you ever been cheated out of something that you believed you deserved? Has anybody ever manipulated you and on a technicality left you in a position that was not fair? Maybe somebody judged you wrong and you got the bad end of the deal. Is God with you in the hard parts of the roller coaster? Because our response to the hard parts of the roller coaster, I think tells us more about our theology than what we say. Like what happens in your heart when life is just crushing you says more about what you really believe about God than merely what might come out of your mouth when things are good. Well, is God with us when we don't get all the peace we hope for? This just takes us from verses 26 to the end of 35. In this section, King Abimelech and his advisor, they go to Isaac and they want a peace treaty. And if you're thinking, man, that's just like Abraham did. Yes, this is just like Genesis 21 showing us how Isaac looks just like his daddy. It'd be like if Justin Timberlake had a son who did a greatest hits album of all of his dad's best hits, you'd go, oh, he's just like his daddy. That's what this is. And for anybody who's ever been hurt or harmed by others, how beautiful would it have felt for Isaac and his wife to have the redemption of Abimelech and Phicol coming out to say, we want to make peace. As Isaac remembers, look at verse 27, what Isaac says to him. Why have you come to see me? Seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you. Well, verse 28, we don't quite get the perfect peacemaker apology the Bible might call us for, but it is an olive branch of peace. They want a treaty, and though Isaac's been treated poorly, he turns the other cheek, offers grace. Verse 30, he throws a feast. Verse 31, they exchange promises and oaths. Isaac sending them on their way and offering us an example of what being a loving and forgiving person looks like. Even when the world did him wrong, he was kind. And I'm guessing this part of the roller coaster felt sweet to Isaac. I'm guessing Isaac and Rebecca went to bed that night going, man, that feels good to have that relationship reconciled. Oh, and the cherry on top, they found another well and they named it Sheba. Say Sheba, one, two, three. Sheba. Sheba's the name of the well and it means oath. Many years later, Israelites' daddies could be walking by that well and say to their kids, that's the well they dug the day Isaac made peace with Abimelech and Phicol. Well, it sure would be nice if this is where the whole text ends on this wonderful section. But there's two more verses, 34. When Esau 
was 40 years old. He took Judith, the daughter of Beery the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah, which is a really crummy ending to this chapter, right? I mean, who here would wish bitterness on anyone? Let the reader realize Esau does not look like his dad Isaac, and he does not resemble his grandpa Abraham for two big mistakes. The first is polygamy. Throughout the scriptures, polygamy is never encouraged by God. It's always one man, one woman. So Esau is out of bounds with that mistake. The second is he's married Hittites. They're the wrong family tree. If you've got Esau's fifth grade picture and you put it next to Isaac's fifth grade picture, and Abraham's fifth grade's picture, spiritually speaking, Esau does not resemble his dad or grandpa. And with all of this bitterness, all the ups and downs, I think this, I think, it's my opinion, this was the worst for Isaac and Rebekah. And my guess is Isaac and Rebekah thought, man, you were with us. We got kicked out of our house, but that's okay. We found some wells. They cheated us out and stole them, but that's okay. Then we finally made peace with Abimelech and Phicol, and that felt good. But Lord, we would trade all that good stuff for just not having to deal with this bitterness. For when the tough parts of the roller coaster of life hit us, it's normal for us to wonder, is God with us? And isn't that true for you and me? True for Isaac, true for the Israelites. When the difficult parts of the roller coaster of life hit us, it's normal to wonder, is God with us? Who here hasn't been hurt by the world? Who here hasn't been hurt by your extended family? Maybe some of you are here and your heart literally hurts because of a spouse that married your child like the text describes. Is God with us when we don't get the hope, the peace we hope for? Well, up to this point, we've tracked nearly this entire chapter, and I've told you that the sermon in the sentence is, God is with us. Say, God is with us. One, two, three. But having seen the roller coaster scenes in this chapter, these three vignettes in this first idea, how in the world can I be so confident as to tell you legitimately, church, God is with you? On what authority do I look from this text and say to you, you can believe in the roller coaster of your life, no matter what's happening, he is with you. How can I do that? That takes us to point number two. We've done explanation. Now let's move to point number two. This is application. It's fear not. And it takes us to the heart of the text. These are the three verses we skipped over. Look in verses 23 to 25. This is the most important part of our passage. Let me read 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to Isaac the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. Say fear not. Fear not, for I'm with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. In case you didn't know, the most important part of a sandwich is the middle. For those of you who disagree with me, we can fight about it later. <laughs> the most important part of the sandwich is in the middle. And in this text, the middle section is the most important part of this text. 
Here in the middle is this incredible promise that anchors all of the ups and downs of this roller coaster. God wants Isaac to know, I am with you. Say, I am with you. I know you're on a roller coaster, Isaac. I know life is unpredictable and there are ups and downs, but you need to know something, God says to Isaac, just like I was with your daddy Abraham, I am going to be with you and I am gonna bless your socks off through this roller coaster. And the reason I'm gonna bless you, it's not because you follow all the rules. And the reason I'm gonna bless you, it's not because you deserve it. The reason I'll bless you is because I made a promise to another. I made a promise to Abraham, and I'm a God who keeps his promises, so fear not. And I'm with you, and you're going to get blessed. Come on, friends, in the Bible, so good. So good. 25, look at Isaac's response. He built an altar. He called upon the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent there, and Isaac's servants dug a well. Commentators explain that Isaac's response here in verse 25 shows he believes because he is actually pitching a tent, building an altar, digging a well. He's acting in belief that God is going to deliver this promised land despite the crazy roller coaster. For Isaac, he is resting on the promises of God to Abraham. And for us today, those of us who have Christ, we need not fear the roller coaster of life, for we have Christ and we will be blessed because of God's promise to him. Yes, life can be scary. It'd be silly for us to deny the reality. And yes, part of the roller coaster of life can lead us wondering, is God real? Is he even there? But take heart. Whether this part of your journey is going great or whether this part of your journey is going awful, fear not, Christ is with you. He knows the roller coaster. He's sovereign over it, providentially leading you, and he is going to do good through it. And, and, and when the truth then of Genesis 26, what we've worked through, that God is with us and we need not fear, when, when that becomes real to us, when we anchor in that truth, it, it can become like a stool that you actually place your faith on, that you can legitimately sit on and trust yourself to it. It can be such a gift. For far too many of us, we may hear a text like Genesis 26 and we think, yeah, 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 but I can't actually entrust myself to it. And what I want to encourage you today, wherever you're at in the roller coaster of life is, rest in God's promise. He's with you. And you don't have to be afraid. Rest on Christ. He is legitimate. Now certainly, the world may look at us with jealousy. And they may kick us out of their company. But church, you need not fear the world's disapproval. You know why? Because God is with you. Certainly some of you are going to have your things stolen from you. Maybe it's outright theft. Maybe you're going to get manipulated out of it. Maybe you're going to get cheated. Maybe on some technicality you're going to go to court. You're going to lose. But you don't have to be afraid. You know why? God is with you. Say God is with you. God is with you. Some of us are going to struggle because folks hurt us relationally. 
And in the event that those who hurt us deeply want to find relational redemption, we don't have to treat them the way they treated us. We don't have to punish them for the evil they did to us. We don't have fear. We offer peace knowing God is with us. He's offered us peace. And so it is with anyone who's brought you bitterness. You need not be afraid if you have experience bitterness as God's people, we don't pay back evil for evil. And we ultimately look to God for ultimate relief, even in the most bitter parts of life. We can embrace it because God is with us. Fear not, church. God is with you. That's our application. But as we come near the end of this sermon, having looked at two points, we have one left. Perhaps some of you are thinking, yeah, yeah, pastor, but I don't know that I actually have faith that's big enough to sit on the stool. When I'm in the scary parts of the roller coaster, I'm white knuckled holding on to it. I'm not sure God is with me and I am afraid. Where do I find the motivation, pastor? Because so far we've looked at an explanation of the text. I've given you application. Point three, let's end with motivation and that's remember Jesus. Say remember Jesus, one, two, three. If you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. When we place the life of Christ next to Genesis 26, which of course all the scripture points to Jesus, when you contrast Genesis 26 to Jesus, we discover even greater dimensions of the encouragement we see here. For yes, Isaac experienced some ups and downs in the roller coaster of life, and so did Israel. Even you and I could testify if we had testimony hour. Many of us could get up here and say, let me tell you about some of the ups and downs I experienced just this morning. But who experienced more ups and downs than Jesus Christ? Think with me, where did Jesus Christ start? In heaven. Christ was in heaven, perfect unity, perfect harmony, everything operating just as it should as the Trinity. And what did Jesus do from the highest of highs? He came down to earth. Talk about a roller coaster going 100 miles an hour down a steep bank. Jesus condescending from heaven to here. Who has experienced a greater roller coaster of life than Christ? And when he came here, mind you, he didn't come and just get to experience all those things that a king gets to experience. He came and walked through living hell. You may have experienced some low points in your life. Who here could compare your life to Jesus and say, yeah, I've had it tougher than him? Isaac was hated, Israel was hated, you and I have been hated. Who has been hated worse than Jesus? Isaac was stolen from, Israel was stolen from, perhaps you and I have been stolen from. Who had more stolen from them to Jesus? Isaac had a bitter life, Israel had parts of their life that were bitter. You and I experience parts of our life that are bitter. But who had more bitterness than Jesus? He took the bitter cup of God's wrath and he drank it there on the cross for your sins and mine. Christ committed no sins. He didn't have to drink the cup. It was not his to have to drink ever. And yet he drank the bitter cup of God's wrath so that we who are sinners could be made right with God. Through it all, Christ, he turned the other cheek. He did not make war on us. He made peace. So how do we know that God is with us? Where do we find the motivation to have no fear? 
by remembering Jesus. And that if we have Christ, God is with us despite all of our sins because at the cross, Christ was abandoned to pay for our sins. For all then who are in Christ, you are blessed by God. Say blessed by God. One, two, three. You're blessed by God, not because you follow all the rules. You're blessed by God, not because you deserve it. You are blessed by God because God made a promise to another and he is going to keep his promise to bless all who have faith in Christ. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, listen closely to me. I'm so glad you're here. If you're here, you do not believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He is not your Lord. He is not your Savior. Listen close. You must be afraid. You actually should be afraid right now because you're on a roller coaster of life that is going to end in eternal destruction. If you do not have Jesus, God is not with you. And you should be afraid. Our life and the roller coaster of Christians, it has scary parts, but none are as scary as your end. But if you, even right now, would humbly come to Christ and say, I would like to have peace with you. If you would look to Christ and see he has come offering you a treaty. If you would embrace his peace instead of the roller coaster of life ending in disaster for you, it would end in glory. Here then is a faith stool for you. Anyone here who has not trusted in Christ, look at Christ and rest on faith, trusting in him alone. Christian, God is with you. Fear not by remembering Jesus. He knows how difficult the roller coaster of life is. He knows your deep pain. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you. And just like God sustained Abraham and Isaac as they sojourned through life, so Christ will sustain us as we sojourn through this roller coaster of life. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for the time that we've been able to share. We thank you for Genesis 26. And I pray that these meager words I've attempted to share, the Spirit would take them and drill them deep in our hearts. For those who've trusted in you, Jesus, I pray they would know you are with them and they have no need to fear. Spirit, for those here who don't know you, I pray you would stir in their hearts holy fear that they would respond by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.